Okay, I'm going to call this episode, Know Your ABCs, A for Authority. The world impedes itself by way of authority. All right, so the world impedes itself, impedes upon us and our interactions with others by way of authority. And Thomas has authority. Thomas is the landlord. So the, the law has given him authority. He owns the property. And that gives him authority over a person, say, renting. I'm not really rent. Well, okay, yes, I am renting. I just pay very, very low rent. And so a tenant-landlord relationship is, a, is a, an unbalanced authority relationship, and the law has a few things to say, and it grants authority over one and the other. For instance, a landlord has the right to kick a tenant off. In California, I believe it's uh, you just give 60-day notice, and uh, as long as there's no other issues, uh, I don't know what other issues impede themselves, you, uh, the guy has to leave. And then it takes, you know, if the person doesn't want to leave, then there's this goofy uh, pro process of um, uh, uh, unlawful detainer and, uh, you know, the three-day notice, unlawful detainer, and then, and then finally you call the sheriffs and, and they, um, oh, man, what is the... What is that word? Kick your ass out of there. Uh, uh, evict you. They take all of your belongings and they stick them on the on the street. And then there's this authority process where they decide what is your your belongings and what isn't your belongings, and it gets really messy. So, if two Christians get together or get a relationship going in some way where one is the landlord and the other's tenant or partners in a business or something. So the, the world asserts itself as authority. And unfortunately, Christians these days are letting the world in too much into our interactions with others, with other Christians in particular. And that's what First Corinthians chapter six is all about, which is you know, there's defined limits to where you're going to allow the authority to take place between the, between you. And um, another one is marriage. Like you get married in the Christian church, and so now all of a sudden the state has authority. And it's the weirdest, my weirdest uh, experience with the authority of the state and the authority of the church and the breakup of my marriage, where uh, I was invited to a meeting at my own house. My wife said, can you come here for a meeting? And I came there and there was my, the Pastor Steve and Pastor Lynn and my wife in an ambush meeting didn't inform me I was in a meeting and that it was, had to do with my marriage and uh, and they had a piece of paper or some legal document in front of them and I said, uh, does this mean, is this divorce? Does this mean divorce? And he said something like, it doesn't have to. They wanted me to sign. I don't even know what it was they wanted me to sign. I was so upset. 
I wrote across, I said, I refuse. And then they told each other, well, that's good enough. And he said many times, like at least four times during our interaction that day, he said, uh, uh, nevertheless, as of now, you are separated from your wife. And they told me the expectations that I'd be there a few days and then I'd have to move out. And that Jenny would get the house and the kids and uh, the kids at that moment were, you know, somewhere else. And uh, they had this shack set up for me to live in. It was like a 10 foot by 10 foot shack. 10 feet would be a generous uh, assessment. I think it was more like 8 feet. It was, a, it was essentially a storage or a utility shack. And a lady goes to to Peninsula uh, Bible Church and had just been, the shack had just been built. So it was new, but it was still down to the studs. There was no insulation. There was probably some electricity, maybe, like an electric light. Just barely enough room for a bed in there. No running water. No kitchen, no nothing. I mean, it was a room. That was it. Okay. And and so, you know, a few days later when I went and took a look at it and talked to her, you know, anyways, when I saw it, I mean, it was down to the studs. It was astonishing that this was their provision for me and that they had set it up that I would pay $300 a month rent for this piece of shit place that they had decided was for me. And they had figured out that I was okay with living ruggedly, I guess you could call it like that. <laughs> that she, he, Pastor Steve said during that meeting, he said, Kevin, you know, she's a difficult person, I guess, to get along with this, uh, this landlord lady that they wanted me to enter in a relationship with. He said, but Kevin, you're different. You get people. And he's right. I get people. I get him. Because that day, you know, I actually confronted him about not talking to me about this ahead of time, about not giving me a chance. Uh, I worked at the church. He could have walked 20 feet over and said, Kevin, there's something going on. You should. We need to talk. I handed him the keys. I said, I am never going to your church again. I, I, I am not a member of your church. Your church, that, this is evil, what you're doing. I actually said that to him several times. I said, what you're doing right now is evil. And his response was, nevertheless, as of this moment, you are separated from your wife. And Pastor Lynn was the, uh, the, the, what do you call designated uh, person for for giving you know counseling people apparently marital counseling was was part of it and she was counseling my my wife and apparently it was marital counseling but I wasn't invited to the marital counseling and there was never been any kind of of uh, of um, hint that I was abusing my wife like physically uh, I would say, and I said at that moment, that day, I said, well, there's certainly a, there's evidence of abuse, emotional abuse from her end towards me. 
And so I laid that down as a as a accusation that day. And the answer was, well, nevertheless, as of this moment, you are separated from your wife. And then I started talking about, uh, you know, like from, you know, all of our disagreements we'd had. We had a lot of disagreements and they were major things like I didn't even want to live in this area. And we lived in this area because she wanted to and I didn't. And I, and I couldn't ex- I couldn't express it very well back then, but but every time we had a major disagreement, I would submit it, and uh, because I thought I was supposed to, I thought that's what the Bible said to do. And yes, you are supposed to submit, and when you're the man, you're supposed to model submission behavior. However, you're not supposed to do it all the time. It's supposed to be a two-way street. You're supposed to set it up long before you ever get married that both of you are submitting one to another. And we didn't do that with me and my wife. It was just me submitting to her because she was very pretty. She came from a, a an authoritative, uh, more authority situation than I had. Her parents had a lot of money. Her parents paid for her college. I was paying for mine out of, out of my own pocket. They only had three kids. We, I had eight, seven siblings. And my parents weren't going to pay for shit. Her parents were divorced. Hers were not. They lived in, and, you know, at the time, uh, I mean, these days you call it a million-dollar house, but the reality is, is the, today that's a $2.5 million house maybe. And at the time it was maybe... 700,000 or something or $800,000 house. And, uh, but very, very nice house, like a four bedroom, three bath, two story, beautiful house in Foster city, which is upper middle class, um, you know, in the San Francisco Bay area. Okay. On the peninsula. So, um, so she had the authority, then she was abusing the authority and she was accessing the authority at the church and the the way they chose to deal with me was to ambush me, to sideline. And um, you have to know that about authority. That's the way the world works. And the, the, for the church to be working like that, it's just incredibly ugly. And that's what I came from. That's how I got my my life got my I, my life was destroyed that day. And then I ended up trying to recover, and I wanted to celebrate recovery, trying to do this uh, 12-step thing, because I like the 12 steps. And I wanted to do something for depression, 12 steps for depression. That's where I met Thomas, and Thomas invited me to live on his property. And I was in, and I, and I, in this time, it was um, mutual, and it was beneficial, and uh, it was... Um, Uh, yes, I was submitting, but but I was very wi- I was willingly doing this, and it was positive instead of negative. Not really mutual. Very very restricted. Like, so you look at compare these two shacks. This shack is maybe forty by thirty that I'm in right now. I am literally swinging back and forth in a hammock in this shack. Okay, I'm gonna pull on the string that makes me swing back and forth. Right now I'm pulling on the string and I'm swinging. It doesn't make a noise until I get to a, there you go, there's a noise. 
there's the noise of me swinging on the hammock inside of this shack. So it's maybe a 10, 15 foot hammock. Okay, that's me hitting the side of a thing in the in the shack. Okay. The ceilings are nine feet high. It's got electricity. Doesn't have running water. It has um has granite countertops. Now, see, there's a real story to that because this property, the guy that owned this shack, this is a former garage. The guy that owned it owned Unical garages up and down wherever. And um, so this was his weekend garage, I guess, and that is where they would work on cars. So there's all kinds of car shit around. There's car parts and you get my foot stuck on car things and stuff, you know. And there's like an axle about 20 feet away from me right now in the middle of the, you know, of all this landscaping and whatnot. So, so this is a former garage. Okay, I get it. And I don't mind because I don't mind living ruggedly. But this is God's provision for me. A 40 by 30 plus a motorhome right next door, which is a 20-foot motorhome. Maybe 25. That's 40 plus 20. <laughs> okay. You're getting the idea. I mean, right now you're hearing chickens just outside my door because the chickens are wandering around. This is a nice little place. Okay. That's the difference between God provision and you the shoehorning or, or the button. What do you call it when you take a square or round peg in a square hole or a square peg in a round hole? A square pegging. And Pastor Steve and, uh, pa and Pastor Lynn square pegging the situation by not talking to me, by ambushing me, because apparently I'm a formidable person and I can defend myself if you come at me up front. People choose to ambush me because I'm far less, I, I really don't know what I'm doing when I get ambushed. So they've discovered this is my weakness, I get it. And so they, they abuse their authority in that manner. So, uh, so the way that the world works is by way of authority, and authority rolls downhill, and, and bullshit rolls downhill. So authority be for bullshit, and Christianity is borrowing the bullshit of the of the world by using authority in the ways that the world uses, and it's just ugly and it's evil. On that day, I told my pastor, "That's evil. What you're doing is evil." When I write this book, I'm going to use his name because what he did and what she did was evil. And my church should be held accountable for that day and the evil that they did because he represented that church that day. I get handed him the key to the church. You can't accept the key back from the church unless you represent the church. So he went, he was in my house telling me that my marriage was, as of now, uh, you are separated from your wife. He represented the church that day. That's evil. That's a that's fucking cult level evil. But it's not a cult. This is just a standard Christian church that Bible believing. It's just that he is so. You know, and he says, "I get him. I know I get him. This is what this is what you can get about Pastor Steve. He is an elitist." He's arrogant. And he's a snob. 
So when he was growing up, I don't know anything about him that much. But when he was growing up, his father and his mother encouraged him. Pretty basic, right? Probably did well in school, and they encouraged him. And then he went to Stanford. You can't go to Stanford unless you did well in high school, okay? He apparently played rugby. So I think he's on the Stanford rugby team, okay? So he's an athlete. Now, you can't play rugby and get into Stanford unless you happen to have a body type or, you know, that you grew, you were able, your body, you, okay, you can't have the kind of body I had, which was late bloomer. When I was 16, that my voice, or 17, my voice was still changing, okay? That doesn't work on the rugby field or on the football field, okay? So you got early bloomer, probably, blessed family, blessed body type, blessed coming home with good grades, and his parents noticed and encouraged it, okay? So then he goes to Stanford and gets, you know, got through Stanford, apparently, and then he went and got some kind of master's degree for divinity or some other thing so he could be a preacher. And his first first uh, sermon was in 1968, and I was six years old in 1968. So he was born essentially with a silver uh, spiritual spoon in his mouth, and he used that to blindside someone like me because people like me, the precariat class, would bother people like him. It, they realized that much of what they had, it, there's a Bible verse, what do you have that you haven't been given? And they like to think that what they did was their own doing. Somehow he deserved better parenting than I did. Somehow he deserved to go to Stanford that, that I didn't. Somehow he deserved to have a better body to be able to go out onto the field of rugby. Somehow he deserved, by being raised Christian, that he's somehow better than me, who was not raised Christian. And his way of dealing with another Christian who comes from a precarious class is to knock them down and to abuse his authority. And Thomas, also born with a silver spoon, spiritual silver spoon in his mouth. He's named after the, the, the dude Thomas in the, in the Bible. Thomas, in the Bible, was the guy that stuck his hand in the, finger in the hands of uh, Christ. And he went off and pre preached the gospel in India. And he died in this little section of India where Thomas's parents were raised. There's a little Christian enclave there. His parents lived there. His parents raised Thomas as a Christian in India. And Thomas is named after the, the disciple Thomas. And Thomas came back here to America. He met me, and now we have a relationship. So we, relation, we trace our relationship straight to the, the disciple Thomas. Okay? So he's using his authority. He's crossing criminal boundaries. He's using his authority to try to get rid of me. He's waving around a dog like you would wave around a gun, okay, or a hatchet. All right. 
So A is for authority. It's abuse of authority. And the world abuses authority. There's a Bible verse that says, uh, the, you know, the, what you, the heathens love to lord it over each other. And essentially, they like to abuse their authority they have over each other. And that's exactly what the authority in the church and the authority with Christians is is happening. And we need to put a stop to that. And the way that you put a stop to that is bringing in an external authority that both will submit to. External mediation. And unfortunately for the precariat class, you know, so you've got the people that have the money and, the, and, and more authority and success and money and more more of this and more money and more of what the world desires and then you got the guys on the other side who have less money less authority less ability to express themselves with the cerebral cortex because they're so f always full of anxiety okay raised and anxious and anxiety ridden environment rather than cerebral cortex-ridden environment, raised in broken homes rather than wholesome homes, okay? So you've got this clash of cultures inside of the Christian church. And the authority is going in one direction. It's the people that, that have all that authority and blessings and money and uh, lack of anxiety from from essentially being, you know, uh, raised in a more loving environment, and they're they're lording it over the people that don't have those things. Now, admittedly, the people I've run into, they're sweeter, they're nicer, they 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 don't have anxiety in their lives, they don't express the anxiety towards you. They're not mean, okay? So they're make better. Uh, leaders in a church than the people that have a ton of anxiety, <laughs> don't have anything, don't have any resources, don't have authority, don't have money. However, the Bible doesn't look at people who are worldly successful as, as, as um, spiritual authorities. In fact, it says, blessed are the poor, okay? So people who are spiritually poor are blessed. It's upholding us who are spiritually poor. Okay? Blessed are the meek. The meek are people that don't have any authority, don't have any power. Meek is powerlessness. So blessed are the poor and the meek. And it says we'll inherit the earth. And so I believe the formation of this group, the precariat class, uh, uh, 12 smart is what I'm starting to call this group. <laughs> it's a social movement, Christian social movement. Um, so it's going to hopefully extend ourselves toward the authority towards children who are being raised in high anxiety environments. <clears throat> so that they have an external resource an external authority outside of their own parents who may not quite realize that they're abusing their children 
none of the CPS stuff, because once you include the state as the authority, you add all kinds of terrible problems associated with it, because the state is never really all that trustworthy. However, when you don't have the state, there's nothing to really compel you to submit to that authority. So, for instance, Pastor Steve, if I were to set up a, a you know, mediation with Pastor Steve, he'd just go, he just blow me off. And Pastor Joel is blowing me off on that mediation. I mean, there's no, no real point to pursuing it. Because there's nothing to compel him to answer for it. And, and God has given me this glimpse and opening of authority because of how much the authority of Thomas has, as landlord has been abused. And that is that he has crossed a criminal boundary. He is committing crimes. So therefore I start... I can. I'm allowed under Section 633, in in, this, in in when a person's life is in you know when they're in danger. I guess is what it is. I don't really remember what it says, but <clears throat> when you when you're in imminent danger, you're allowed to record what's going on, even against the will of the other person in the conversation. So, yes, when there's a dog barking at me, growling at me, came in with eight feet into my shack, my life is in danger at that moment, and I am allowed to record it. And that dog barking at me and threatening to come into my shack, my life is in danger, I'm allowed to record it. That bar dog barking at me, growling at me, having bitten me four times already, pulled me down uh, as a like a buffalo on the fifth time. There's actually one other time he bit me on the ass, but it's, I'm embarrassed to bring it up. So I think he was just playing to be candid. <clears throat> uh, anyway, so the, the dog is threatening me, and it's a threat of violence. So therefore, I'm recording, and so the authority got abused. So therefore, there's a compelling reason to to bring this to mediation, and a compulsion, compelling authority reason, because the standard thing is to blow you off. The compelling thing is, well, if you don't show up, then we're going to submit this to the authorities, the state authorities, because that Bible verse is silent about submitting to state authorities about criminal activity. It's only really about civil, when you have a civil dispute with another Christian. If you have a criminal dispute with another Christian, another Christian has committed a crime against you, then you report the crime to the police, to the state. And then you bring the state as the authority in, and there's plenty of compulsion to answer for it. And I don't really, I mean, this isn't that, this is serious enough that I could easily, I could die. Okay, that dog could bite me, infect me, I, I'm dead. Or he, he jumps up and gets my, my juggler or something, and I bleed to death in a, a few minutes or whatever, right? I mean, there's a distinct possibility of death here. All right. But for the most part, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the dog is just uh, treeing me. He's his job. And dogs are have enough millions of years of instinct to know that you don't come too close to a, to a, a bear inside of his cave. And you tree these animals. And then the, the other superior hunter comes along and throws their spear or shoots them with the gun or whatever. Okay, that's the job of the dog is to tree the animal. The other, it's it's compatriot, uh, it's in in the wild. There's this 
synergistic relationship that some animals have. And dogs got used to having synergy with humans thousands of years ago, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, possibly. So they do, they're part of the pack. They can consider themselves part of the pack. They do their job, bark, 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 get the thing up the tree, your job, go get them. Because you're smarter, you climb better, or whatever it is, the dog knows. Because <laughs> you can't do the shit that the human can do to bring down that panther or that bear or that uh, raccoon or whatever it is that is up the tree. Okay? So that's the instinct operating for the dog. He's treeing me. And he's threatening violence. And he's cutting off all of my avenues of escape. And he's, and he's ready to come in and, and rip me in half, too. And so the owner's using that. And that's illegal. That's a, that's a crime. And so I get to compel. Because of the crime, I'm going to say, look, we're going to have Christian mediation. And with Christian mediation, you're going to have to belly up to the bar and acknowledge that what you've been doing is wrong. And hopefully we have a restored relationship. Now I'm going to start with restoring a relationship with the dog. I'm going to get a zipper zapper. And I, we put the collar on the dog, and I zipper zapper that dog, and I train the dog, and he can go wherever he wants, and do whatever the fuck he wants, and bark at whoever, including me. All he wants, as long as he's willing to put up with the zipper zapper when he when he bites at me. And that dog will be trained in a matter of days, easily, not to bark at me. And once he's trained, then I'm going to ask Thomas, says, okay, now... We're going to revisit this whole thing about you letting me walk that dog and restore the relationship with the dog. He, now, I'm going to be on the dog's team. The team is, team, that dog is going to allow me into the team. We're part of the same pack in his instinct. Okay? So that's a restored relationship with the dog. Okay, now that we have a restored relationship with the dog... And I'm walking the dog, I'm part of the dog's pack, I'm in his tribe, and this has all been compelled because of the criminal activity, and so therefore the owner doesn't really want to sign up for all the consequences of a crime. So therefore he submits to Christian mediation. And that's where I see this going, is, is a restoring of the relationship between me and the dog. There's only two elements. One, the zipper zapper, and I get to, I get to hold the, the key to the zipper zapper. And two, me starting to walk the dog and feed the dog too, give him treats, train him. So then I got a restored relationship with the dog. Good thing, right? This is a positive thing to want and to do and to follow through and I don't consider it any kind of an abuse of authority. Okay, so let's say you have that relationship restored with the dog. The owner's no longer doing that bullshit with, with the uh, dog. Um, he's no, no longer being a, a dog asshole or encouraging assholeness on the part of the dog. So you got the asshole bullshit Christianity. So the owner is no longer doing dog asshole Dog bullshit and dog Christianity. I don't know what the dog Christianity. I don't know how to work C into Christianity other than the fact that we are both Christians, me and the owner, and we're going to implement this. And the dog is part of the whole thing. Okay? Then once that happens, then 
I try to get a two-step process towards uh, leveraging the same stuff towards a restored relationship with Thomas. So how do I do that? Is there anything to compel me to get a restored relationship with Thomas? Because he's going to be probably a little upset that he's kind of been called on his behavior, on his criminal behavior. However, maybe he discovers. So Kevin, all he wants is to walk the dog and be and not not get treated by the dog, huh? Okay, all right. I mean, a, a reasonable human being would go, well, okay, what I did was kind of wrong, or, but okay, that's all he wants. He doesn't want to send me to jail. He just wants a restored relationship with the dog. And now he's going to discover that I want a restored relationship with him, with Thomas. That he that I want to put an end to the him crossing the boundaries of. Our, of the authority in our relationship. And then we just set up some very distinct boundaries. And one of those boundaries is the basis of our relationship was the 12 steps. And he can't take my inventory. He's been doing it since the beginning. He's going to have to acknowledge that what he did was wrong, that's step eight, and make up for it, make amends for it. Okay? So uh, part of making amends for it is he was just extremely dismissive and forceful and Telling me that I kind of have to buy that car from his friend. I, don't, I didn't have to. I was. I just felt compelled because I, I I can't express myself very well. But I just felt like leveraged, like I was supposed to buy that car. Thomas expected me to buy that car, and Thomas was very forceful and told me to get rid of the car, uh, my original car, the little Toyota. Okay, once I got my DUI and the car was just sitting there for several months. But the car still ran. I dro we drove off the property when we found somebody that finally drove it off the property. Okay. And he essentially forced me to sell it for $100. And the guy wanted to buy it for three fifty, dollars and all he had was $100 in his pocket. He gave me the $100. I've never seen him since. So... I expect Thomas to make amends for that by getting me a suitable Toyota Corolla. With at that point in time, I had less than two hundred thousand miles, so a suitable Toyota Corolla with less than two hundred thousand miles, air conditioning, reasonable gas mileage, automatic. Uh, it doesn't have to look pretty, but it does have to look good enough so that the cops don't pull us over. So hoopty's fine, but it has to be hoop less hoopty enough so that cops don't try to take it off the road. And I don't know how to define that. That's a hard one to define. It just has to look, it, it's okay to look old. It just can't look all beat up. That's what the cops don't like. So that's what I expect. Step eight. That's the basis of our relationship. And in particular, the two of us, our higher power, is supposed to be Christ. And so I expect the full authority of Christ to be coming down and the bearing of love in our relationship. Okay? Because he's been going off of that distinctively away from it. For instance, when he was telling me I have to look for work, and I was resisting looking for work because I considered myself semi-retired, stuff like that, and he... And we had a, a disagreement. We had disagreements over several things, and I and I and I said, you know, that just doesn't seem right to me that you're pushing me to do this. 
how about we meet with Pastor Jesse? I wanted to meet with an external authority, Christian authority, that we both submit to. He wanted me to start going to his church for some reason. Like uh, there was some, he thought he thought he had identified some uh, program or something for people that like me that that are screwed up in the head or something that they can help with or something. But I was already going to another my church. So there's no reason for me to switch churches because the simple fact is I know that churches don't have the ability to fix my problem. <laughs> I have been dealing with depression for 48 years, since I was 10 years old, and churches don't have it. They don't know it, and I've met with the highest authority on depression in the West Coast, or, or, or brain chemistry imbalance on the West Coast. I can't remember her name. I'm going to have to look up her name. And um, she offices at Stanford and all that stuff. That, well, I've told this story before. And Thomas ain't it. And neither is his church. And his church, in fact, has kind of gone off into the weeds, especially when it comes to celebrate recovery, because they, they can't celebrate recovery to the door, to the curb. Okay? So his church, the only reason why I was going to that church on Wednesday nights and whenever was uh, because of celebrate recovery. I didn't I was not a member of his church, I was a member of a different church. I was going to CR. That's how I met Thomas. That's, I always considered that to be the basis of our relationship was the 12 steps. And so I would expect that to be the model of, of our uh, of a restored relationship between the two people. So what do I see as a restored model? Well, I think that he's been issuing excuses for me not helping to improve the property. For instance, I'm looking at the purple carpet that he put down, which was for free from uh, his former employer. He used to work at Yahoo. And he found that carpet lying around, ready to go out the door into the trash and got it for free. But that happened after we kind of had a blowout when I said, look, I really want to get carpet. I want to buy car. I'll just let me buy and put this carpet down a dollar square foot. I'll pay for it. Okay. What's the problem? I didn't know what the problem. I still don't know what the problem is, why he wouldn't let me just buy the carpet and put it down. And he just said no, because he's, he's dismissive in that way. But he, the weirdest thing is he did come up with a solution, and the solution was from God, which was free carpet. Okay? Okay, that's cool. I'm okay with free versus me paying for it. And, I, and me, as soon as he brought it in, within a couple of days, I had rolled out carpet, and I'm looking at how I had rolled it out. I basically took only one roll of his carpet, cut it in half and there's I'm just looking at one stretch here and the one stretch back there and I had to cut a little circular uh, section where the door opens because the, it wouldn't open with the carpet there and things like that okay so that was a good solution so I look for a restored solution with Thomas and there's a lot of things going on uh, he is basically saying no he's very dismissive. He's not letting. He's not letting me fix the concrete. He's not, and that, and that's a cheap, easy, effective, uh, cheap. He's cheap, and I'm cheap, and so I don't understand why he doesn't just let me do it. And uh, he he's claims that he's worried about my safety. That's why he wouldn't let me use his um his 
weed eater, okay? And yet, I had my own weed eater, which can easily chop my foot off, okay? And he's using the dog. Talk about a lack of safety. That dog is, is ready to rip me in half, okay? So he's not really concerned about my safety. So there's something else going on. And But the thing about the weed eater is... That started very early on. I mean, that was before he even had a dog. He wouldn't let me use his weed eater. And, and that was for safety. He said it was because of safety. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. And then uh, I can understand him being reluctant to let me climb up and fix his ceiling on this, on this shack or this carport thing because... That is a safety thing. I mean, that's, you know, it's about 10 feet up and you fall, you can break your neck. But, you know, I'll sign away and say, if I get injured, then, you know, I don't hold him accountable. Or maybe his home insurance will pay for it or something. But for the most part, as long as I'm allowed to be safe and take my time. See, the thing about that pushes the la lack of safety on a lot of job sites is that they keep pushing harder and harder and harder abusing the authority to get things done faster because they're paying these guys by the hour and uh, they don't like continuing to pay them and it gets too expensive. But if you're not paying the guy, if he's doing it on his own dime, all you're paying is materials. It's not like I'm using extra super duper materials. Okay. It's just, I'm taking my time. I'm being safe, but I don't understand the problem. And he was really abusive when he, uh, when I, one day, you know, he's asking me to water the plants and stuff. And it's kind of like, okay, okay, I have better things to do than water plants. But uh, anyways, one day I left the water going running for three hours. He was really mean-spirited about that, that day. I think, I think he should do step nine on that one. Because the reality is all you have to do is get one of those little nozzle things and twist it onto the thing. And then uh, if someone, you know, leaves the hose out, it's not going to keep running. It's, you know, you, and, and a few days, a few weeks later, he actually put one of those on the same, on that hose. And it's like, and I could have put it on myself. I could have got one for $5 or four or three, whatever. Okay. Put the thing on there. And he, there's no reason for him to mistreat a human being over, over water because he it was too cheap to put a thing on the hose. Okay, there's something's off there, and I don't know what it is. Okay, he let me do some work around when when Paul was there, and we we buttressed up the carport because it was starting to fall off the, the side of the hill, and. Um, he let me do build the fence for the uh, dog. Help! I helped build that fence. That was easy enough work. I mean, you're pounding down stakes and you're wiring up uh, uh, fencing. It's not that hard, and it's you can you can just smash your finger just as easily doing that. And Paul started working on the the driveway, and I was helping Paul with that. And I never saw Thomas while I was doing it. I saw um, Shirley when I was doing it. And I was like, yeah, I'm helping him. And, and then Paul gave up on it. Too much work. 
it's too hot, too little progress. I mean, we worked on it all day and we made maybe 10 feet. And even then we didn't even, it didn't go from start to finish 10 feet uh, of progress. We, we worked on it like two, two and a half full days and, uh, and it wasn't even done. I mean, he still had to go get the materials to put in the, you know, I think it was concrete or something that he put up there. So it was, it was very slow going and I didn't think that he was doing, he was very effective. I can do a better job than that. <laughs> and there's no safety, really. I mean, the safety is that something gets stuck in your eye, so you wear eye, eye protection, or that you cut your finger off using the electrical equipment, which is always a possibility. Um, so a restored relationship would be, I'm looking right at now at a chicken, and I'm looking at my infected foot from the chicken shit. So I would either set up some chicken wire around where I live and the chickens can't come in, or we'd get rid of those fucking chickens because I don't, I don't like having them there because they infected my feet. I don't mind that they make noise. That's fine. And I think they're really cute and I like them and I like feeding them and they like me, but they are a health hazard. If you spend too much time in a chicken coop, you can breathe in this stuff, and there's a disease you can get. I don't know what it's called. And I've already gotten a health where I'm risking losing my big toe. And there's a bunch of flies right now flying outside of the door of where I'm looking because they're attracted to the chicken shit. So I don't mind the some of this stuff, but flies, they could get onto my... Uh, psoriasis and infect my arms and I could die because of the flies because of the chickens they're attracted to the chicken shit and there's a lot of flies and uh, you could breathe in that shit in the chicken coop and you could die from that and you can eat what I mean you could eat bad eggs from the store so that's not any more of a of a of a hazard than eating chickens eggs from here, right? There's, there's no difference. So that's not a real hazard. But uh, if you lose your tenant to a, a toe infection or an infection on his skin, which he's already, or exacerbated infection of the skin from the flies, or they trip over the chicken. Oh, uh, the chicken, the, the rooster has attacked me several times because he considers me his rival over to all those hens. Uh, we, I know it's funny. It's he really does consider me his rival. It's funny, anyway. So he attacks me. You know, it's like yeah, I feed him and I'm nice to him and everything, but he attacks me because so whatever. <laughs> but the problem is when he attacks me, he's got little talons, you know, and and they break the skin. And I've actually gotten this on record on video, and um, he's broken my skin, and I'm bleeding and shit because of the talons. These talons are walking on the dirt and shit, and, and the chicken shit. I mean, that's instant infection right there, okay? So, between the infections from him, a chicken rooster attacking me, me stepping in chicken shit and getting an infected foot, breathing in chicken shit stuff, and the flies, that's a health hazard. And so, as much as I like the chickens, either we 
if we have a restored relationship, we, we fix the health hazard. And I don't know how to fix the chicken attacking me. That doesn't matter too much to me. I, I think it's minor. But we either fix that or we just get rid of them. And Thomas says, okay, you got to deliver a dozen eggs a week, hand deliver off of the, you know, from the store because you, you forced me to get rid of my chickens. Okay, great. I'll do that. And what else would be a restored relationship? I think Thomas is a strange relationship with animals. Like the chickens I just talked about. And the dog, he's using a dog in an abusive way. And the kittens, he put on, brought in kitties over on the other side. Those poor kitty cats have been sitting in a cage for five months and they have not been let out. And it's sad to see, and I don't know what to say. I mean, it's like... It's not really my business, but a restored relationship, you might go, you know, dude, uh, kitty cats are, you know, not intended to be stuck in a cage. And yes, there are coyotes out here, but kitty cats are probably fast enough and wildly enough to stay away from the coyotes during the day and you just put them up safely at night and they'll be fine. But that's not here or there. That's like a weird thing with Thomas and it's like uh, it's not my problem and I don't, I don't tend to make it my problem I feel sorry for the kitty cats but that's just that's not my problem and a restored relationship probably wouldn't really do much for the kitty cats anyways okay what else um, I would want to get his authority or he, I'm sitting in my uh, hammock right now, and and I, I just don't want to. I don't want him to know about it. He, he would say no. So screw that. Just make you know a restored relationship would be him saying, okay, you can have that hammock. Just, just don't break anything. <laughs> um, what else would a store restored relationship look like, where the authority between the two people is? Uh, is more equal. The whole thing with the dirt and how I moved the dirt and cleaned it according to the word clean, and then he changed the word clean, and then he wants me to clean the the uh, the weeds. And the reason he's the reasoning behind him wanting me to clean the weeds is first of all the thorns, and I just was knocking down the thorns so that his dog wouldn't get thorns, and his dog running through the thorns. You know what? That dog attacks me. I'm really ambivalent about knocking down thorns that that slow down a dog that's attacking me, okay? And so uh, in a restored relationship, what does that look like? Am I expected to knock down thorns uh, for a dog? If his dog isn't attacking me, then I feel like, oh, okay, let me help with this. Uh, you know, the dog probably feels better about running through the thorns. But I, that means I get to use the, the uh, weed whacker, okay? And I'm done in 20 minutes instead of three weeks. Okay, um, just general dismissiveness. I don't like how dismissive he is. There's all kinds of ways that he has been dismissive, and I don't like it. He's gonna, and so if I if I run into an issue where he's dismissive with me, and I say, uh, uh, "Excuse me, you were just dismissive. Let's have a mediation." 
and whatever it is you're dismissive about. And I mean, the last time it was cardboard, which is no big deal, right? But let's just say we made a big deal out of, of cardboard. Okay. And he was dismissive about me dealing with anything with the cardboard okay, or on the porch or whatever. And, um, and I was like, I don't like the dismissiveness. Let's submit it to external authority. And then the external authority, which probably gets sick of us, but let's say they, they decide, well, he was dismissive and properly so, Kevin, you need to apologize. Or, yes, Thomas, you're, we're dismissive. And uh, Kevin just was offering to move the cardboard. So what's the problem with Kevin moving the cardboard? Okay. Why is there this dismissiveness? So a restored relationship would <clears throat> address such things so that there isn't this invective that grows between two people. <coughs> All right. So in a restored relationship, I'm driving a, another car with less than 200K miles, a Toyota Corolla level car. Uh, I, I'm stuck with the consequences of my own DUI. I understand that. But Thomas has to live up to some of the, of how he pushed me into getting a DUI. Okay? So, I don't know what that would look like. I'm thinking uh, I get an electric car. And I come up and park the electric car here. And I can, I can plug it in and restore the electricity here. Okay, and Tommy's going to pay for the gas, the electricity, for as long as I'm here. And that could be expensive. Which means he's going to want to put up solar powers, solar panels. And I would love to help do that. I would love to, I think this whole thing, this whole area should be solar powered. I mean, we're talking, he's got four acres. He could put a whole solar farm up. All right. And I wouldn't want him to be dismissive about that idea because he could make a ton of money. And as long as it looks nice enough for the neighbors, they don't like looking at stuff for some reason. Or, you know, people like to look at open fields and things. So if you disguise it as an open field, or it just looks nice enough, like it looks like a, a nice little house or something, right? And yet it's got solar, you know what I mean? There's ways of disguising things so that they look nice. And you could, and I told Thomas once, the tower, the cell phone tower, that they have ways of just making it look like a tree. And there's one that, like, in particular, I was looking at, it was a, a horse uh, boarding facility in Woodside when my daughter was going to some party over there. And, and I was walked right past it, and there was this tree. But it was, it was a cell phone tower disguised as a tree. And I've seen a few of them. And you could turn that whole cell phone tower into a tree. And it would look cool. It would look like a tree. So you could turn solar panel farm into maybe what looks like housing or who knows what it would look like. I, I mean, there's who knows what you can turn things to look like. And then I want to paint the front of the, uh, the shed and I want to slap on a mural. And the mural is going to be, you take a picture of what's behind the shed and make it look like this, that's what you're looking at. So that it's like comes invisible, right? So not only are you making the shed all of a sudden now look nicer and look like it's hardly even there, but then you make the whole solar panel thing look like there's hardly even there. 
and yet you're you're utilizing every inch almost of your of your uh, what you've got here, okay? And that would that would be a positive thing. It'd make money, okay? Why be dismissive over somebody who's got ideas like that? Okay, so get rid of the dismissiveness, Thomas. That's what a restored relationship looks like. Okay, so fixing the roof, fixing the concrete, painting the side. No dismissiveness, no dirt shit. Chicken's gone. Just, I think that's a health hazard. Um, dog is restored. Kitty cat's Thomas's problem, but I'll, you know, if I if I spend time thinking about it, it would be like, well, they're good at catching rats and things like that, and maybe find something that they they're just not going to be stuck in a cage that's just not healthy. Uh, fixing the 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 driveway. Um, Installing a shower. I want to install a shower. I've got a few ideas about how to do it. And I can even do it to the point where he can't even tell that there's a shower there. One would be to use the shower in the motorhome. And then we just hook up the exit uh, gray water and put the gray water out onto his property and grow whatever you offer the gray water. I mean, it's just it's perfectly good to use that for landscaping. <laughs> I mean, it's as, as probably as easy as hooking up a hose to the exit. I mean, I don't really know how easy it is. It can't be that hard. Yeah, and then, and then maybe some sort of electric uh, uh, heater for the thing, which I'm pretty sure, I, and I looked into, you can buy an electric heater for less than $50, I think it is, for electric water heater. It's very small amounts, right? I and mean, it's barely enough to heat up for one person, but that's all I need. I can just get a shower. That'd be cool. And as long as we're making money for Thomas by installing a solar farm, I'm looking at four or five units that he could easily turn around and turn into rental units and just make me in charge of the rentals. We could easily turn this, you know, this back thing. Well, that's a unit right there. You put in a separate entrance. This barn that I live in, you could easily cut that into two two units. Um, the motorhome is one unit, so that's one, two, three, four units I talked about already. The storage unit that Paul is in is using. You could easily raise the ceiling so that a person can walk through there. There, so that's five units. Turn, convert the carport. Plenty of room there. Easy enough to do. I could do it myself. That's six units. And as the, you know, the chicken shit shed, I don't know. I originally thought that would be fun to do, but I don't think I want to breathe all that chicken shit. And who knows what that's been through. So, you know, call that storage or something. Who knows? And then you still have room, one left carport, one carport area for a community area. Now, of course, if you're having six other people live here, five or six, and, you know, you've got a, like a community there, right? You're going to want some rules and you're going to, you're going to want, you're going to know that some of those people aren't at all that trustworthy. And so you're going to want extra security on your house. And that means a security system in Thomas's house. That's what. I would suggest. 
Okay, where are we at? We're at A is for authority. Ooh. All right. I don't think I have the ability to wrap this one up, so I'm going to add one more here. had a successful authority interaction. Um, I don't know if uh, included. No, I did not. So after the dog barked at me, I'll, I'll include the dog barking at me as I brought home the um, brought in the trash, and me thinking that the landlord was um, trying to tree me. And then I had a Zoom session with my alert driving instructor. So that's the ADI. That's the DUI class. When You have to take classes when you get a DUI. And, you're, and so the, because of coronavirus, we're having these counseling sessions of, across Zoom. And it's my last three or four counseling sessions before I'm done with the program. And so I log in, I'm waiting for him, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then uh, there's some sort of weird notice that comes up that says I got bumped off. So I tried to get in again, and it wasn't letting me in. So I looked through my phone. He had sent me some kind of a notice or something because uh, uh, he, in our first initial react interaction, he I wanted to help with setting up. Uh, depressed anonymous meetings and things like that. And so he sent me some link or to something. I forget what it was. It's like an alternative to zoom. And, um, so I looked through and I go, oh, I think that's the guy that, that I think that's him. So I called and it was Steve and I, and I got back onto the zoom and got into the meeting. Okay. So the sex successful interaction with authority was that Steve was kind enough to allow me to have access to his cell phone number by sending me the text and be caring about me. And then when I was on the Zoom, he asked how I was doing. I'm not doing very well. I'm under a lot of stress. I'm under a lot of anxiety. I feel like drinking. But that was a successful interaction because I got the credit for the counseling session. I told him what was going on, which is kind of stupid because... Now he's all focused on trying to solve my problem or some weird thing. And it just got side, you know, it spiraled outward toward him trying to help me. And it's like, well, we don't have time. So I got credit for this, right? And yeah, you got credit. So that, but that was a successful interaction with authority and me taking the initiative to find his phone number and call. But if I hadn't, if he hadn't been, uh, uh, kind about his level of authority and sending me his number, I would never have been able to get to him. I just thought it had been me saying I tried to log in and I had no idea what was wrong, going wrong. <clears throat> so, uh, so that's that. I don't know what, uh, I mean, we're on, the, the only reason why I'm including this today is now, or just a few minutes ago, I was talking about authority and abuse of authority. So this is maybe an example of a non-abuse of authority. So what is it? Uh, uh, level-headed authority or 
clean authority. Uh, I don't have a, I'm so used to looking towards the abuse of authority that I so often rarely come across instances of somebody who didn't abuse it and somebody who um, uh, used agape love or sturgeon love or uh, uh, not not eros love, that's for sure, but uh, brotherly love, um, uh, philo love, so the four Greek words for love and, and a combination of them, just a caring love for another human being. And that got us to a successful point in the interaction. Um, okay, well, there's an example. Okay, good. Let me just include it. brought the dog down right at six chickens are not ready to go in because the dog was barking at me so he's using this time as a way to uh, as a way to uh, corner me and I do not appreciate this as a tactic this is uh, this is an interrogation technique is causing anxiety and then he comes in and talks to me like uh, he's the good guy good cop bad cop and that's bullshit so that's the way things have been going and I'm only sort of coming to realize that that's the technique he's been using and I really don't appreciate it now maybe he sort of fell into it as a technique and didn't realize it or some weird thing but uh, Again, it doesn't matter because he's crossing the line of criminality. So he's using a criminal uh, process and a criminal um, a crime to uh, affect the outcome that he wants. And under Christian principles, that's really bad. Under legal principles of the world, nobody really cares because the person that has a lot of money and authority, they just throw money and authority at it and then it goes away. So, but you can get in big trouble because you crossed a, a criminal line 
and uh, you can't, uh, you can't, you know, this becomes, this kind of material becomes um, allowable in court because of the crime law that got, or the crime line that got crossed. And so since it's allowable in court, then if he has a discussion with me right now, I'm talking on the phone and I, I put the phone in my pocket. Guess what? You're talking on an electronic device, buddy. So I think maybe I don't really know what's happening. I can't tell. I can't see. I think he came down, looked to see me, and then that was it. He went back up, but I'm not really sure. I can't tell, and by sticking my head out, I risk having the dog come in and bark and scream and yell and, and you mangle me. And all, what are we calling that? I mean, I don't really know what to call it, but that dog comes down and corners me in a vicious, extremely vicious way. Okay, and, and I've got video of it, and it is horrible. So the dog, the dog comes down and horribleizes me. And then Thomas takes advantage of this, which is horrible also. So here I am horribleizing it, and there's a term for that in, uh, in REBT, you know, you horribleize things, but the reality is that's, what's, that's what it's being used for. It's being used to make that to instill that into a person and there's a crime that has been committed and, and a, the crime, lo crime line has been crossed. So it's not me horribleizing something in my mind. This is something that I'm documenting and it, and it actually, you can see it on the video yourself that uh, that's what's going on. So, uh, you know, just not a good thing. Not healthy, and if, to be candid, if that dog comes down, you know, at any moment that dog's doing that to me, I pretty much have a right to defend myself, and I haven't been availing myself of that right. But one of these days, I might just pick up a axe or something. I'm looking right at an axe and swing it at that dog, and if it hits that dog, that dog's dead because of what's been going on for months and months and months. <sighs> And people like to say, well, you allowed it to go on. Well, think about the position I'm in. This is free rent, and, I, and I'm at the edge of my rope. I'm running out of money. I can't seem to find work where I can uh, survive. Because when I work, then people blindside me and uh, ambush me and and key up on me because they they detect that's how it works with me because if you come up to me up to, to my front then i defend myself frontally but you come up alongside and blindside me ambush i don't have any defenses against that i just never have developed it i i don't expect it and when it has happened to me i was like blown away wow but wow okay and if you're walking around expecting to be blindsided and expected to be ambushed, and then, and of course, you're prepared for the frontal assault, you, you're hyper vigilant and paranoid. And I don't know how to do that.
uh, it takes too much effort and energy. It, it drains the life out of you, out of me. So, I lack that skill. I never developed it, never thought I would need to with Christians, and it's the Christians that have caused me the most pain with that skill, that have used that abuse of authority. Because uh, it's when I drop my guard a little bit, thinking that they, they're not going to do that. And then that's what they do. Because people who are assholes out in the world and don't have Christ, and you can't expect them to act any other way than be an asshole and be worldly, right? And they, the weird thing is, often they, are, they have more nobility than average Christians. But what you can expect from them is that they will not have nobility, that they will act like animals, and they will do that. So it's a little bit foolish not to think that that might be coming from someone who's very worldly and yet a Christian, okay? But I guess I was a fool to think that that wouldn't be coming from Christians. Like my own wife. And I had no, no fucking idea. No idea. And, and when I hit the rewind button and think about what would I have done differently? Oh shit, I would have stayed away from Jenny. There was a time when I was ready to break up with Jenny. I just, it, it seemed like it wasn't right. And uh, she was abusive and uh, one-sided. And I stuck with it because I thought God wanted us to be together. And I loved her. And we worked some things out or something. And I did not break up with her. But I came close. So we had a flaw in our relationship from the very beginning. And of course, I'm not the easiest person to live with, that's for sure. I'm a slob. And I'm very frontal in terms of I come at you from the front. I don't blindside. And that's hard to deal with because it's like a very um, confrontational Frontational. I'm very frontational. Confrontational. Okay? That's a, that's a word that has meaning, but I'm putting things on it so that people know where the word front means. And, and uh, yes, that's, I'm not putting on a fake front. I'm, I'm just being front forward about who I am and what I deal with and, who, and what I've been through. Well, I don't think Thomas is there. I'm going to go see if he maybe closed off. The, I can hear the chickens, so, and I see the chickens. So He didn't even put the chickens down. I guess he just came down to see who it was, why the dog was barking. And here I am. Okay, what's going on right now is that I'm trying to upload something across my phone. So I can't use my phone my camera. But the owner came down with the dog. It's 7.30 owners right now put chickens down and he called out to the dog to come here and uh, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do I don't want to trigger the dog without evidence of uh, capturing the video but I, I could quick easily trigger the dog he's right out there Surprised he's not barking at me.
this is what I would normally do is uh, talk in soft tones if I'm talking. I'm in my, my motorhome. <coughs> you can hear the motor. <coughs> Going out to the dogs right there. Dog just came down the middle of the hedge. The dog should be able to smell me and hear me right now, so he's not barking, which is a good thing. Uh, if I wanted to, I'd go, go out there, because there's a separation between the, the owner and the dog, and I could uh, trigger that dog. But I don't want to, because I'm in the middle of transferring a file across my phone, and I don't have the, the video capability, which is why I decided to open up a... Uh, Recording session for uh, Anchor. And uh, so I'm just sitting in the motorhome talking on Anchor. I have to be careful because I can pull the phone off of my thing. I see the dog. The dog is going right up front, right to the motorhome right now. Owner's doing something, I don't know. Some kind of makes it work or something. So, yeah. I'm really anxious right now. I don't even know if this recording is going to work. has been captured over to okay so it's 2022 mp4 73pm 275 megabytes just called and you can maybe hear the owner saying drop it Oh, it's right there. I got him on video. 
This is this is stalking behavior. This is this is I, I don't know. I mean, that's just me characterizing the behavior. However, I many people can see for themselves when they look at these videos what the owner's doing is very nonchalant and bringing the dog right in front of where I am. And uh, I don't have a chance to close the door. Um, and it's just unnerving. And, I mean, I don't want to stop the dog from having a good time and not being on its own property, but that dog is fucking vicious, okay? Well, as soon as he sees me, or even hears me, if he were to hear me, he, um, he comes after me, and this is fucked up. That's the sound it makes when I'm done recording, so I have to stop recording the video because it takes too long to transfer over the over the uh, over my cell phone, uh, and it, that's exactly what I was doing was transferring video over my cell phone to get it over onto Google, whatever, so I can make a an episode of uh, Anchor for my um, the book I'm writing. So it's all complicated, and now I can't think straight. And uh, so this is uh, okay. This is real time me not being able to think straight. I got some video of it. Um, I'm now talking in my normal voice. I can't see him in the mirror, but uh, a few seconds ago he was at the car on the driveway, throwing the car, the ball down the hill and playing with the dog. But he was throwing the ball right in front of the motorhome, throwing it up to the, over the hedge, and so the dog would run back down the middle of the hedge. So it's like, he's drawing out confrontations with me and the dog. heard it. What sounded like a sound? A person shifting in the dirt. I believed that the owner had put away the uh, chickens and closed the door, but that may not be the case. I don't see any wind moving the hedges, so 
that was the sound of a person. Um, so now he's coming back here to stalk me, so. Man, this is bullshit. I know, you know, it could easily be characterized as a person walking around on their own property with their own dog. But it can also be characterized as criminal behavior with the dog being a vicious dog. It's that if it sees me or hears me, it's going to come in and start barking right at me. And, and I could easily trip, fall, break my neck, cut my hand on something. or uh, My hand is already cut today. Uh, um, uh, break my skin open just on something by tripping and falling. Okay. So... This is, this is dangerous fucking situation, all right? And the owner knows it. The owner knows that the dog barks and is mean at me. And yet he still walks around with the dog not on a leash right in front, throwing the ball and shit right in front of the motorhome. So at the very least, it's nonchalant behavior with a dangerous dog right in front of where the, the dog triggers a person. You know, you know, that's a kind of like a, if you're on a jury, you go, well, what the fuck is that? Well, that's, a, that's just a person throwing a ball in front of, you know. No, that's bullshit. They're throwing, you throw the ball over 100 yards away just as easily as in front of where the dog's going to get triggered. Okay? And then, and then you hand the, the victim of your abuse the dog collar, radio collar thing, and you say, fine. You know, if that dog's going to bark at you, you zipper-zapper him. You train him. Okay? Easy enough. There's going to be some weird reason that I can't foresee that the owner is going to say no to that. Oh, it's cruel to the animal. Fuck that. You know what's cruel to the animal is having to kill it because he, he broke skin on a person and, he, and he's, a, he's deemed a dangerous dog. Or, or uh, uh, not dangerous. Uh, what is the word? Vicious. There's a difference between potentially dangerous and vicious, apparently, in the law. And I don't really care too much about the difference other than a uh, vicious dog has caused the kind of damage where you have permanent injury. I mean, this dog has not caused that kind of damage to me where I have permanent physical injury. If there is any permanent injury, it's uh, psychic level or to my um, anxiety, right? I mean, me a fucking heart attack type of damage. So I so it's not a vicious dog. It's a potentially dangerous dog. Some some legal legal beagle bullshit you know, difference. But people you know people see those videos and and they know what's going on. That's a fucking dangerous fucking dog. Okay. And it, the the law isn't going to sit down and say, okay, if you have a fucking dangerous fucking dog, then all right, the law uses uh, legal beagle terms and and that kind of shit. They, they don't they don't write if you have a fucking dangerous fucking dog. <laughs> I think there's been some societies that actually write like that, like the Greeks probably did. <laughs> okay, so. <clears throat> If there was a law and it said, okay, if you own a fucking dangerous fucking dog and you're walking on your own fucking property and you're throwing the ball in front of the fucking guy that the dog triggers off of and doesn't like, then you have to pay the guy $5 or something. 
something like that. I was like, that's probably what the law would say. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot for the fucking five dollars. Can I turn it down and tell you to stop fucking doing that? Oh, well, if the person turns down the five fucking dollars <laughs> wants instead to train the dog with a with a dog collar, <laughs> then you are obligated. <laughs> what the fuck would the law say at that point? <coughs> Who knows? Who knows? Fun to think about, but uh, who really knows? I mean, it's just laws are written by people who have money and authority. Okay, for instance, the law in California, and you read it, and you and it's like, okay, you you're not allowed to record con- private conversations, confidential conversations, even in a you know such and such kind, you know. Uh, all kinds of situations that, that would be confidential because the people who want it to be confidential and want to p- p- pour all kinds of anxiety on you, they don't want to be recorded, okay? It is in their deepest desire not to be recorded to have that shit come out to, into the light. And they're the ones that helped write the law. But now recordings are cheap. It used to be you'd have to carry 50 pounds of equipment into a room to record stuff. And then they could write a law saying, well, you know, you're not allowed to. So, uh, you know, so, so people didn't do it, but now you're bringing one ounce of equipment and a one ounce battery and it goes for two hours or eight hours or something. And you can record a whole, a whole fucking day. Okay. And, uh, and presidents are almost brought down by people recording conversations. So it's like times are changing and those laws are going to get uh, unwritten because the precarious class and other people are bringing down people as high as presidents by recording phone calls and recording things. So those days are going rapidly going away and ordinary precarious class people are going to be recording everyday conversations with people. And then there's going to be this tons and tons of uh, mediation because ordinary people are going to have ordinary, ordinary confrontations with people. And so that used to be you would have a altercation, say, with your neighbor over his mean, vicious dog barking at you every time you walk across, you know, the, the street in front of him and he doesn't do shit about it. So, you no, look, now it's on video. Oh look! Now your dog is 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 uh, out on, on public property, barking at you know out on the sidewalk, which is public property, and he's viciously threatening violence against me. That's against the law. That's a crime, and I have it on video, dude. Well, yeah, you're not allowed to take video. Well, yes, you are. First of all, it's in public. You don't have any 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 expectation of privacy. And second of all, you broke the law, and and it's. Uh, threat of violence, but other times it's just an ordinary interactions with, say, neighbors over, you know, well, I think you're parking the car in front of there is really just, just, you know, it's, just, it's been there for three months and I'm sick of seeing it. So do something about it. No, why should I do something about it? It's in front of my house, so fuck off. Oh, well, it's on the public street, so I'm going to call the fucking cops. And it's only allowed to be out there for 72 hours. And then cops come put their little fucking uh, 
thing on the sheet on the windshield and says, "Well, tow it away in seventy-two hours if you don't move it." Okay, so you move it a hundred feet, and uh, the cops can't do shit about it because you moved it. And then you got this ongoing altercation with your neighbor. Are you allowed to move? Keep your car in front. Well, the law says this: you're allowed to move it, yet or keep it there, but you have to move it every seventy-two hours. And then your asshole neighbor keeps calling every seventy-two, you know, uh, calling in your car, hoping it gets it gets towed away. So you you keep track of that dispute with recordings and stuff. And then you both decide, well, let's go, let's go to mediation. We're both precarious class. Let's go to precarious class mediation. What do they have to say? Oh, well, it's his car. It's a public street. The law does say you got to move it every 72 hours. So, uh, you are kind of being an asshole by calling that in every 72 hours. Um, how do we resolve this? Why is it you don't want to see the car in front of your neighbor's house? Because well, it's ugly. It's got this dent on it. There's a, it turns out there's a car just down the street here that's been there for months and months and uh, never gets moved and it probably doesn't run. All right, so that white Cherokee, um, you know, it's got a broken window now and it's attracting crime, which it probably is, and it's ugly. <laughs> okay, so uh, can we get the other guy to fix the window? Will you agree to fix the window so it doesn't attract, you know, the broken windows type of crime? Um, no, I don't have any money to do that. You don't have money to break, fix the window. You're taking a non-operational car, sticking it out on a public street. Why don't you just get rid of the car, sell it? Because uh, I think eventually I'll have the money and I can fix it and then I have another car. Okay, well, we're both precarious class. We're all precarious class here, so we're going to decide what what to do. I really wouldn't know what uh, precarious class type of person would say or do, you know, as a judgment over that thing. It's like, okay, here's the plan. The plan is you're going to fix the car. It's going to cost you, you think it's cost, going to cost $1,500. And so if you don't have $1,500 within, say, a month, then uh, you're going to no longer park it out in front because it's a bit of a nuisance to your neighbor. Do you agree with that? I mean, because you kind of pre-agreed that you would live by whatever, wherever they came up with. That's what arbitration is kind of all about. And so you go, okay, fine, 1500 bucks. I got a month to deal with it. And so you try to deal with it. Um, or maybe they decide that the person's been calling in is a real asshole. And it's too bad, you know. Guy can park his car out front. You keep going, and we know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get the car towed away by the police because you're an asshole. I don't know how people decide things when they're in those positions. Okay, do they decide? Well, you're just an asshole that's calling the police on a minor issue. So you know, precarious uh, class people try not to be assholes. So fuck off. Or do they say, well, it's a nuisance, it doesn't look good, and it's attracting crime? I don't know. Now, what would a precarious class, because you, you would have to be part of the precarious class to have a beat-up old car in front of your house, right? And trying to think and hold, hold out hope that you're going to fix it. That's what precarious class people do. And then, uh, then you see these people with the 
the car on their lawn, right? It's like, oh, well, that's an eyesore. But they get away with it. It's their own house. So it's like, well, if you're both precariat class and you don't want to see the car on the neighbor's lawn, what what resources do you have to bring to bear on that? Oh, if I put up a four square um, uh, thing so that we put up a nice little mural, so we're looking at a pretty mural instead of that ugly fucking car, and we'll put it up at our expense. And it's a box, okay? It's just a wooden box, not particularly strong or anything. It's just so that we can put up a nice mural and you look at the nice mural instead of your piece of shit car. So seems like that would be a reasonable solution to the problem that we get to look at a nice mural instead of your piece of shit car. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that sounds good to carry it class, right? Guy gets to park his car in the front and yet there's a nice mural to look at. Okay. And it's put up at the expense of the owner. Or they might even decide, well, you know, that's a really good solution, and you guys need to share that expense. It's going to be half. You know, one owner, the owner puts up half, and the the uh, or sixty forty or whatever. You know, you make some kind of declension de- 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 decision. So it's like uh, one side either pays one hundred percent and the other zero, or it's fifty fifty, or it's sixty forty, or something according to some uh, reasonable uh, measurement bias, like, well, we think this guy that's putting his car out in front is kind of an asshole because it's been there for five years. Or we think the guy that's looking at the car is being an asshole because it's just a car in the front of somebody's house, right? And he's a mechanic and he fixes it. He actually does do something about it. Or it's been sitting there for five years and he hasn't been shit. And, uh, you know, any ordinary person would would like to see that car kind of gone, okay? If it's been sitting for five years, it's going to sit for five more before anything gets done. Everybody knows that. That's how that shit works. So, for so you uh, you would say, okay, well, an uh, ordinary time, uh, it would take about ten days to put up a box and with a nice mural around it. So we're going to think in terms of ordinary time, 10-day increments. So if it's been there for five years, and you divide that, call it, okay, let's say it's been there for 500 days, which is much less than five years, okay? Uh, And you divide the 500 by 10 days, so that's 50 increments of time. So you forced your neighbor to look at that for 49 increments of time, and now it's going to be one increment of time per, you know, moving forward. And we estimate that it will take you five years or 500 increments of time to get rid of it. So you pay out of, out of or we, you know, how long until you get rid of it? And when do you, or, you know, oh, I, I will get rid of it by within, uh, um, 300 days. Okay, that's 30 increments of time. So out of the full, it's 800 days, it's 80 increments of time, and you forced your neighbor to look at it for 50, and 30 that he's going to, you know, there's going to be, so he pays 30, you pay 50, and uh, 30 out of 
80 and he pays 50 out of it. Or you pay 50 out of 80, he pays 30 out of 80, and that's how we decide it. Okay, and we do the math, and then he does 30%, you do 50%, and multiply by whatever to make it 100%. There, you're done. All right, well, I know that sounds complicated. I have to kind of sit there and do the math and make a, a better example for the math equation, but that's where things are at. Okay, um, my anxiety is going away. It's, it's a beautiful sunset. I can hear that the dog and the owner are, are uh, at light. They're on the upper side of, of the driveway, so they're further away, and I can talk in my normal voice, and uh, I don't think the dog's going to come down and harass me. So I have less anxiety. I'm starting to hear crickets. I'm seeing swallows fly in and eat these bugs. Get those bugs, you swallows. Get them, get them, get them. Eat them all. <sighs> okay, this is good. Coming down from anxiety. <clears throat> over by the car right now. I could speak in my normal voice. And the dog is right there by the car too. And I mean this is this is stalking behavior. This is this is I don't, I don't know. I mean that's just me characterizing the behavior. However, I mean, people can see for themselves when they look at these videos what the owner's doing. He's very nonchalantly bringing the dog right in front of where I am. And uh, I don't even have a chance to close the door. Um, and it's just unnerving. And I mean, I don't want to stop the dog from having a good time and being on its own property. But that dog is fucking vicious, okay? And as soon as he sees me, or even hears me, if he were to hear me, he, um, 
he comes after me. I mean, this is fucked up. <laughs>